It's time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Tuesday, June 16th, 2020. Hope you all had a chance to hear the Dan Baumgartner Sr. interview yesterday that we posted. It was an absolute blast catching up with him. Uh, I hope uh, you enjoyed it as much as I did. He's actually in town in California this week visiting the grandkids he was talking about. So uh, I hope he gets to share that with them and the family. And just, uh, you know, God bless the the Dan Baumgartner family, the Bill Baumgartner family, all the Baumgartners. We really appreciate um, the Mr. Baumgartner Sr. Uh, <laughs> uh, stepping in to record with us recently. It was a lot of fun. Looking forward to catching up with maybe Bill and uh, Dan Jr. here soon. So those uh, interviews hopefully are in the works. We have more interviews uh, we've been doing, guys. We have put a few aside already for this week. Still working on a few more. Uh, I do want to say the interview today with Mr. Billy Cunha, uh, I, I'm really excited about. We talked a few days ago, he and I, and uh, it was a lot of fun. All these interviews are fun. I mean, it's it's so repetitive almost in saying these things, but it was just a blast catching up with him. Uh, Billy and I were partners in the... Uh, Northwest League in the minor league baseball in 2010, only for like three weeks. But our friendship uh, definitely grew from there. Uh, we haven't, that was 2010, so it's been 10 years. And uh, we've been in touch here and there, but, uh, you know, he lives in Colorado now. You guys will hear all about that and all about him and, and everything that's going on with him. But it's just so much fun. I got to keep saying it, that to catch up with with friends from the past. I know all the umpires in college baseball and former minor league baseball umpires will enjoy this interview. Uh, Billy has a unique background. He was in uh, the medical field. He was working as a paramedic before he got into minor league baseball. Uh, again, I don't want to uh, take away from any of the interviews, so stay tuned for that coming up here shortly. Uh, I will say that uh, the show continues to grow, guys, and you know it, it, you can't really lose <laughs> lose any listens of course they can only go up which is nice but our, our total plays continue to grow and, and just really appreciate everyone who who tunes in it, it's been a blast and and i continue to hear from people that, that say hey the show's great love to hear from you uh, uh i'd love to talk with you on a, on a podcast interview so anyone who's interested again uh we'll make it happen we have an email address of course uh, the get home or excuse me get home safe podcast at yahoo.com and guys if you email in uh, email in any questions you want, anything you want me to talk about, uh, and, and we'll definitely uh, answer it for you. We'll, we'll answer it and any topics you want to cover. My thoughts, my opinions, they may not be worth much, but uh, I'll definitely give you my uh, my two cents or whatever it may be. So feel free to send in an email anytime. Uh, we definitely want to be very hands-on with this show, and we want our fans to, to be a part of it too, because without you guys, uh, there isn't really a point to this. Uh, I, I do want to say, you know, Major League Baseball, I think they've really mishandled this whole situation. And it was less than a week ago that, that Commissioner Rob Manfred at the Major League Baseball draft said uh, on live television, we will have 
hundred percent, we will have a baseball season this year. And as recent as yesterday, he said a potential season is, is really in jeopardy. So I don't know how things have changed that quickly. I knew when he's made those comments at the draft that it, it probably was not looking good. I was like, how could he say a hundred percent when there's been real, no pro or not really any progress. So, I mean, those are my thoughts. I just think they, they've really drugged their feet with this thing. Again, it went from safety to now money concerns uh, and, and the general public look at, if you're promised hundred percent of your salary, then yeah, you should, you should get it no matter, no matter what job you're in. I mean, if, if that's what the contract says, if that's what the CBA says, hey, okay. But, you know, a lot of people around the country lost some money, lost money with this whole pandemic lockdown. Uh, I, I don't know if too many people, I would say more people lost more money than, than did not. I have no facts to back that up. That's just, that's just my general um, thought. So I don't ever want to tell anybody that they don't deserve money or they should, you know, should they should give more money because they have more money. Uh, I don't always feel that way. I mean, we're, we're all entitled to what we are promised, what we earn, like what, but so many people have lost a ton of money in this uh, lockdown. And it's a bad, I don't know if there's an answer, if there ever was for major league baseball getting back out there, but I do know it's a really bad look to them when a lot of the country is struggling and, you know, has been hit financially. And the perception is that millionaires can't come to an agreement. Um, it's very frustrating, but at this point, you know, we'll talk to Bill Barnes about this tomorrow as he will chime in, I'm sure. But at this point, what's the point of having the season? I mean, they had an opportunity a, a couple of months ago, maybe even as recent as a month ago to do something. And I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I almost don't think it'd be worth it. They've already alienated a bunch of fans. They had an opportunity here to really uh, get out there and be one of the premier sports being played, but unfortunately they're not. So I don't have all the answers. I'm just rambling. I'm just uh, speaking my mind here. Um, you know what? No one should ever tell you, you need to take a pay cut no matter what job you're in. And I know they're making lots of money, uh, but when the rest of the country is really struggling, financially it, it's it's a bad look for you when you guys can't come to an agreement to get on the field and really help unite people through sports because we say it all the time here on the program but but it's true i mean sports does unite us it, it's it's something to watch it's something to uh to debate to compete over um to be a fan of you know and uh, unfortunately much like 94 uh baseball is not looking good right now. And, and I think if they don't, they're going to suffer early consequences, but I think in the long run too, is really where they will really see uh, some damage with the fan base, lose overall money. It's almost like, I think you should try to lose less money now, lose, not lose as much now, but take your hit now, not long-term, but now you're taking a hit now and long-term, at least those are my thoughts. And again, I, I don't know all the numbers. I don't know all the, the technical terms and everything, but it's just crazy to me that five days ago, Rob Manfred said hundred percent, we're going to play baseball this year. And then it looks like uh, they're probably not. So uh, very interesting there. Um, I will say again with, with combat sports, you know, they are trying to do the right thing. They're trying to get uh, events on TV. Uh, I'm looking forward again on, on television tonight for some 
some top ranked boxing on, on ESPN. I think they're doing a great job in getting cards out. And yes, yeah, some of these names are not very big or anything, but you know what? They're guys trying to climb the ladder. You, you know, if it's professional uh, boxing, it's professional. It's this guys climbing up the ladder. I mean, the, the main event uh, tonight on Tuesday is uh, Joshua Greer and Mike Plania. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Plania, my apologies, but they both over have 20, have over 20 wins and one loss each. So uh, that's intriguing to me. Again, if you put uh, anybody against each other with with a good record and a good storyline, I'll definitely tune in. That's kind of that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, I, I really enjoyed fighting, and and the more and more team sports seems to uh, really struggle with getting on the field. The more and more I'm attracted to uh, sports like combat, uh, combat boxing, and MMA, and uh, so. You know, who knows what's going to happen? I do know that football, I, I can't not see a world where football is not played. I think there's a lot of controversy right now in the month of June with, you know, potential anthem protesting and a lot of issues going on there. But I do think deep down that the country is hungry for football. Uh, they, I cannot see a world where they don't play. Uh, I could see with some of the protests and everything where it alienates some fans and drives them away uh, from, from spending money and maybe they take a hit there. I don't know, but put all that aside. That's, that's up for another conversation, another show, but I, I do think football is going to get played. It's uh, we're getting closer and closer day by day. Right. And uh, college athletes are, they're getting back on campus, the NFL, they're going to get into business. Even if there's no fans, I, I just think football is going to be played. Uh, there's going to be a lot of controversy around it this year. We all know that with all the things going on, and we'll definitely discuss all that on, a, on an upcoming show, probably on a Wednesday with none other than Bill Barnes, the one and only weekly Wednesday weigh-in uh, guest that we have. Uh, he's here tomorrow, so looking forward to a lot of conversations with him. We're going to talk about sports and current events and, and everything that's going on, and that's how this show operates. As, as any of you who have not listened, you know, we try to focus on some sports, but also just the connections with friends and uh, the current events, and we'll touch on everything. You know, we're starting to open up our opinions a little bit more as time goes by, as I get a little more comfortable with this podcast. So thank you for bearing with me. And you know what? Uh, we're just, we're here Monday through Friday. We just want to put good shows out. Uh, looking forward to our guest today. I had a great time talking with him. Again, even if you're not an umpire, I think this is a conversation that you can take from uh, Billy now works college baseball. We had the opportunity to work a couple months ago together for the first time in 10 years, which is crazy. But we'll touch on all that in our interview. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. It's not all baseball related, but there's some there's some good talk in there about how uh, you never know uh, what you're going to get with baseball, kind of the direction it takes you. So uh, some good stuff along the way. Uh, we'll take a quick break and then we'll get right into the interview with Mr. Billy Cunha. <laughs> Okay, today we are joined by Billy Cunha. He is a former partner of mine way back in 2010 in minor league baseball, the Northwest League, uh, to be more specific. But I got to tell you, when I first met Billy, I was really looking forward to a, a new partner, and he he was definitely somebody that uh, I appreciated from the get-go. So we'll talk about everything that's going on uh, currently with him. But uh, first, I just want to welcome the program. Billy, welcome. Matthew, how's it going? Oh, it's fantastic, my friend. It's great to hear from you. Uh, yeah, man. Like we saw each other earlier this year right in San Diego, but uh, there's never enough time. 
No, there isn't. And, and you know, Billy, we met in 2009 and we worked for uh, probably the last half of the month of August, I think, the very end of the season, a couple weeks. But that was way back in 2010 that we we went our separate ways. Uh, Your minor league career was much longer than mine was. Uh, You got to AAA. You had some good times. We we ran into each other a little bit uh, at spring training, you know, with other crews and everything. But, yeah, it was – it was February of this year, right before the lockdown and everything, that we actually had the opportunity to work together on the same field. And I got to tell you, man, I, I told you, I told you when I saw you, but it was so cool. Ten years later, uh, <laughs> working on the same field together, it was just like goosebumps. Absolutely, man. And like I, I got to tell you too, I can only imagine how bad I looked back then in, in 2010 and and how far we've all come in umpiring, man, but you looked fantastic out there. And it was, it was a pleasure to get to work with somebody that you, you know so well and care so much about, but you know, you just, the way, the way the baseball game works, you don't get to pick your partners. And uh, when you get to see them again and work with them, it's always fun. Yeah. It, it, it's incredible. The relationships you develop in baseball, specifically minor league baseball, uh, and, and I tell, you know, my girlfriend and my friends all the time, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know this guy from here. I know this guy from there. Oh, yeah. You know, we may not talk as much as we like, we definitely see each other as we like. But the friendship is is always there. And, and I got to tell you, when we see saw each other, uh, we picked up right where we left off, man, like we hadn't uh, stopped talking all those years. Yeah, it's, it's plug and play. You just like jump right back in like no time's gone by. Uh Unfortunately, we've got a few more wrinkles in our face, but hey, you know, it's life. <laughs> yeah, and a, and a fond memory for me that weekend, we, we were down at uh, San Diego State. There was multiple crews, and uh, two crews at our field and two crews at the University of San Diego. It was the Tony Gwynn Classic. There was, I think, six or eight teams from all over the country that came in to play kind of this like round robin, not really a tournament, but just play play a bunch of different teams. And so we had the opportunity to not only hang out together, but also hang out with some other crews, hang out with a lot of other guys. But I will never forget, Billy, I've turned into a rather a little bit bigger of a boxing fan than I ever was in the past. And you had the plate on the Saturday night game, six o'clock. And that night was the Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder fight. And I was just looking forward to this for so long, really hoping we had a day game. And, of course, we know we have the night game. So uh, I was just like, man, we're going to miss this fight. But you know what? You pumped out like a two-hour and 20-minute game, and uh, we were able to make the <laughs> – be able to see the whole thing from my phone at a restaurant. And, uh, yeah, that that was really special to me, and I'm I'm grateful to you. <laughs> Hey, someone told me early in my career, never be afraid to call a strike. So I've, I've latched onto that for better or worse. And uh, yeah, we uh, got no problem like uh, getting the skates on back there and having a good time. So glad we get you out for that fight, man. You were you were glued to the phone, just like turn this thing on immediately. I want to see pre-fight, during fight, post-fight. Let's go. You were yeah. Oh, dude, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's funny the things you you come to appreciate more and be a fan of later in life as a as you grow as an adult and everything. But yeah, that was that was a fun moment for me. But but just that whole weekend was fun. I got to work with my roommate, Mike Jarbo. Him and I are very close. He was on the crew. We had another younger guy on the crew, Denver DeBrail. Uh, and it was just cool. We we meshed really well. We had probably the youngest crew of everyone there. Uh, and, and you know what? It was just cool to see all the boys. It, I thought it was like almost a kicking off of a season, but unfortunately we only worked a couple more weeks 
before uh, you know the college baseball season was was washed away like everything else was due to the lockdown. Yeah, man, that was uh, that was a bummer. Um, it's it was definitely the biggest season for uh, game uh, that I had racked up. And so I was looking forward to it from a college perspective of getting in and working some more college games this year, since my schedule was a little heavier and it was like snap of the fingers, shut her down. And, and there we go. So, um, uh, a, a big bummer and, and, a, and a shout out to, to all those, uh, college umpires out there that, uh, any college officials really that depend on that income, uh, to, to make it by. And, and they're obviously having a tough time right now. And, and, uh, you know, I feel for you, like it's, it's having that income just stripped away with, with nothing else to depend on, you know, they, they keep us at that 1099 level. So we're not even employees and, uh, you know, fighting for your own health care and all that stuff can be really brutal. And, and, uh, shout out to all those referees, officials, umpires everywhere. Oh, oh, amen to that. And you know what, it really brings up a lot of discussions about, uh, the status of, Specifically, college officials, college umpires, you know, there's always talks about, you know, what what we should be classified as and such. And I think this not just for officiating, but this year specifically with everything that happened, I think it's definitely going to open some eyes as to maybe some of the um, working, uh, you know, situations we have. I mean, what do you do you care to comment or touch on any of that? What are your thoughts regarding uh, our status kind of in the, in the workplace. Yeah. You know, I, I, it's, uh, it's tough. So there's all different makes and models of college official, right? You've got folks that are, uh, you know, lawyers by trade. And then on the weekends they go and and call a few balls and strikes. You've got people that do multiple college sports year round that, that even scrap and do high school stuff just to get by and make ends meet. And there's everything in between too. And so there's different kind of makes and models for everybody around, but like, it would be really awesome if those folks that are setting their lives aside to uh, dedicate themselves to a college season, be it football, baseball, basketball, whatever, um, that they, they get a little bit more uh, representation as far as employment is concerned. Uh, you know, it's not just some like independent contractor business where we're coming in and fixing up a house. This is a skilled specialty trade and I would love to see guys kind of get rewarded for that with full-time employment health benefits, which you, as you know, we got to pay through the roof for um, just to make sure that that stuff happens and, and kind of get some more steady wages for folks that really can put a lot of their life on hold to jump into spring to umpire season to college baseball, because especially if you're getting called upon to do midweek games and then working every weekend too, uh, yeah, it sounds great while you're in the season because you're making decent money and everything feels good. But at the same time, you know, how short is that season really? You're talking mid-February to, to mid-May, maybe a little bit longer if you're lucky and you get a regional or a College World Series assignment. But, uh, you know, I would love to love to see some better representation. I know some of the bigger conferences have talked about making, um, you know, employees instead of contractors out of their officials. And it would be really cool to kind of see how this can develop in the next few seasons. And I'm, I'm hoping they kind of head that direction, at least give the option for folks to really fully commit to it, sign up for that full season and, and, and get what they deserve. I, I think that's really well said. And, and this isn't a topic you really get to talk about too often with guys, but I know there's, a, there's plenty of people with uh, their opinions and also some, some good uh, information about the, you know, the resources of the job we do. And, and you talk about it. 
Yeah, I think you're only talking about maybe one fourth of a year. I mean, a quarter of a year, maybe a third of the year. If you if you do work long into the postseason, uh, it's all about being available during that time. And once the season's over, it's like, OK, there's nothing else going on. And much like it was in minor league baseball, you then have to find something to do for uh, in, in that case, six months or so. Uh, so it's a very unique situation because I ask guys all the time, I'm like, how are you able to get away from your regular job and leave on a Friday morning to fly somewhere, uh, work all weekend, some baseball, then go home Sunday night, uh, or in some cases, maybe Monday morning and get right back to your your day job. I mean, it is so... Uh, the scheduling is really tough. I'm shocked so many guys are able to do it. I know the money, the money's good, but you know, some guys unfortunately walk away from, from good jobs even because they like umpiring baseball or guys, uh, you know, conversely, uh, they don't umpire because they can't afford to get away from their job. So it's gotta be really tough. I know, uh, are you you're you're a fortunate and a pretty fortunate uh, position these days working for for Target in the human research human resources department where your availability is a little more open or what can you tell me about the challenges of just being available and balancing a full-time job with uh, college baseball yeah uh, so yeah super fortunate you're right I I got lucky out of baseball and I had a a friend of mine I went to high school with, she worked for Target on the store side. She was an executive there, like a leader in the store. And um, she was able to get my resume on the desk of the HR uh, manager for the distribution center out here in Colorado. And so I was able to get an interview, get hired on as an ops manager. And then about a, a year after that, I got promoted up and and was able to slide into this HR role, which is just really fantastic. Uh, I always tell people when they're like, hey, like you've got such a weird background, you know, you did medicine for a while and then you were a baseball umpire and then you were an operations manager. Like, how do you end up in HR? And I was like, well, the more I thought about the role uh, for HR, you got to know all the rules. Uh, you got to know when and how to enforce them. You got to live in that gray area and you got to deal with people saying stuff to you that's really not appropriate, but acting like nothing happened. I was like, that's umpiring. I got this. But, <laughs> like that is umpiring to a T. So um, HRs have been a really awesome fit for me. The, the challenge with working for a big corporation like Target is that you're expected to work and, and you got to put your hours in. So I'm looking at like a 45 to 50 hour work week kind of in general, we're, we're salary, but you know, it, there's the expectation of, of time in the building. And so what I have to do in order to umpire college baseball is uh, condense my work week. And so I work longer work days, Monday through Thursday to kind of make up that time in the building and then take off early Friday morning and try to get back hopefully before Monday morning when I have to get back into work. So I do have a little bit of flexibility with able to kind of move some hours around and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I, I pretty much maintain that, that time balance. I'm supposed to be in the building, but just, you know, condense it down. And that's what we do for the love of, of the game because uh, umpires are an unfortunate species. We, we have this like desire to put ourselves in situations that are routinely not good for us. Uh, like being on the road six months a year when you're working minor league ball and not getting paid very much and not getting paid during the off season, all because we really love what we do and we want that, that chance to be, to be great at it. And so, you know, that mindset continues into college baseball after your uh, professional career in the minors. And, 
and it's this it's almost like a little bit sick and twisted right you have to go do your <laughs> your thing but especially for folks that that spend a lot of time in the minor leagues you you're looking at like you know anywhere between uh, three to 12 or 15 years in the minor leagues. And then all of a sudden, boom, the rug can get pulled out from under you and you're unemployed. And, and you've spent so long honing this craft, which is essentially uh, unusable in any other area of, of the world to earn a, a living except college baseball. So um, it's really the only place where guys like you and me, Matt, can kind of use all those skills that we developed for such a long time to actually uh, do something with. And so it's a good outlet for us. And, and I think that's sort of the reason that I, you know, mess with my schedule in order to get out and do some college baseball. There's, there's nothing like being on the field and, and, and nothing like uh, just kind of being between the lines for three hours and, and uh, living the dream, so to speak. <laughs> there is something to be said about being out on the field and, and I, and you are completely right. It is this, it's like this disease almost where you don't know why you love it. There are times you're like, people ask me, Oh, you really love what you really love it, huh? And I'm like, uh, yeah, you know what? I do love you. Got, I almost have to like convince myself sometimes now, don't get me wrong. I, I enjoy being out there working the games uh, but there's a lot of other things that people don't see that you got to deal with. And, and, you know, sometimes the games go forever and that's just part of it. But I almost compare it, you know, I'm not much, I'm not much of a golfer. I'm actually pretty bad. <laughs> I've golfed a few times and, and I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed being out there and I don't know how good you are at golf, Billy. Uh, my roommate, Mike's pr- pretty good. He does some caddy work as well, but everyone I've talked to who plays golf, you can be out there for the day, however long it takes, four or five hours, whatever, and you're just losing balls all day, hitting them in the gutter, slicing everything, uh, just having, I would say, 90% of your shots are just terrible. But all it takes is one or two, that feeling of, oh, man, that felt great. I hit that one square and straight. I ran into it, however you want to put it. And it's like, yeah, okay, that's what keeps you coming back. And I think it's the same way with baseball. You're out there on the field all this time. Your body's hurting from squatting and uh, running around. You're standing around and waiting for something crazy to happen, almost mentally draining as well. But you know what? Every now and then some some great play will come up and you just nail it or a situation comes up and you're like, yeah, that's why I love this right there, that right there. And, and at least that's my experience. That's a fantastic analogy, Matt. Um, so I've golfed since I could walk and, uh, you know, my dad, my dad got me going on that when I was a kid. And I always tell people who are learning to golf as an adult, I am so glad that I learned to golf as a kid when you just kind of like do stuff. And now you know it because <laughs> learning to golf as an adult would be so frustrating, but you're absolutely right. There's that one shot, like you can have a terrible day and you birdie 18 and guess what? I'm coming back tomorrow. Let's do this again. And, and that's kind of how umpiring is. I got yelled at all night, but oh man, you should have seen how I slid in a position for that play at second base and I was all over it and boom, there's the butter and now it feels good. And then, Hey, guess what? I'm coming back. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. I, I just, uh, I don't know, man. I, I mean, you, I, I was almost like dreading the season for it to come up. And then once it was here, I was like, Oh, this is fantastic. And then of course it was shortened this year. Uh, it, you know, our season ended way early and I was like missing it. It was like, uh, it's like a bad relationship. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's like, like dating. Oh. It's like dating a crazy girl. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something always pulls oh. you back. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you know what? We could have analogies for days. I think you and I, uh, we're very like-minded that way. I love comparing things, and, and uh, <laughs> I, could, I could talk that way for hours, man. And, and I think that's where you and I uh, really clicked when we were partners. It was a short time. Again, I wish it could have been a full season. But, but uh, yeah, 2010, Billy, you, you were in the minor leagues. You were the, the class, uh, the class of 2010, which was – I was class of 2009. So you were moving pretty quick. You, you joined up with me in, in 2010. And, uh, you know, my memories from that season were just that uh, – for me, it was a relief to have, uh, you know, uh, a new partner, a new, uh, <laughs> a new friend because it was the longest I had been away – uh, from home umpiring and with extended spring and then all this and that. Uh, so it was cool. I was very, I had, I had never met you, but I was excited to get to know you. And I can honestly say those were a very fun uh, three weeks or whatever it was uh, going from Yakima to Everett, <laughs> Washington to Boise. I mean, some just crazy cities, but I had a great time, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was pretty incredible. So uh, I'll, I'll walk you back a little bit through how I ended up with you. Uh, so we're, for those of you who don't know, there's a, a very, very bottom of the barrel rookie league baseball that happens in Arizona and Florida. And, and you got a bunch of guys staying at the same hotel and you're going to different spring training sites and you're working on the backfields where there's no bleachers, no fans. And it's 110 degrees, even still at 7 p.m in uh, phoenix arizona during the dead of summer and it is brutal but the best part about it is that you're not there with just one other partner you're there with like a whole crew of guys because you're going out and working different fields and rotating who what partners you're working with and you know phoenix is not a bad place to hang out in the evenings once the games are over so a lot of times the umpires go out have a good time um everyone gets an idea on what the order is of who might be promoted next because umpires are very good at speculating uh very very good <laughs> at just worrying too much and speculating about how things are going to go so in my mind i was like eh i think i got some people that are in front of me that might get promoted first um i, I don't need to worry about going anywhere this year which is unfortunate because i'd really love to get out of phoenix in august uh and just not be here <laughs> um and so we were we were out at one of the bars one night and uh, a certain umpire who will remain nameless, who I love very much in my heart, uh, was riding the mechanical bull and uh, injured himself, actually hurt his hip flexor and was unable to work anymore that season. And the thought process was, hey, he was the next guy to go. Well, the very last promotion of the season happened from Arizona Rookie League up to the Northwest League. And guess who got the call? But yours truly here. So I, I've... I've never loved a man so much as I did uh, that umpire for getting hurt on the mechanical bull so that I could get out of Phoenix and go to a much cooler climate up in the Pacific Northwest. So I was just as happy to get up there to you, Matt, as, as you were happy looking for a new partner um, and looking for some, some fresh blood in, in, the, uh, in the clubhouse there. But uh, yeah, so that was pretty cool. Um, where did we meet up? Was it Everett? The one and only, it's not the end of the world, but you can see it from there, yeah. uh, ya Yakima, okay. Washington. Good Lord. So th <laughs> this is one of the worst fields I might have ever worked on. I feel like the infield grass came up to about mid-shin, and then you never know when uh, a ball would bounce just straight over an infielder because it's like that bad of a hop. And, and on top of that, the the very drunk fans 
are right on top of you, just giving it everything they got. <laughs> All 200 of them. I, yeah, <laughs> I remember it, man. Uh, you know, it was by myself for a couple of days waiting for you to drive uh, up there from, from uh, Arizona. And you know what? I don't think you've ever told me about the mechanical bull injury. You know what? I'm, I, uh, I, I don't wish any uh, ill will on that guy, but I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm kind of glad it happened myself. You know, who knows where, where it would have what would have happened? And uh, it's just funny how sometimes the planets align just right and things work out exactly how they're supposed to. Um, I, I do want to tell a story about you from that season because I've told the story many times uh, when talking about being a good partner. And uh, it was like the last series of the year. I think we were in Boise and I had the plate um, struck a guy out, look at whatever the case was. And we're now between innings that uh, individual uh, ran out towards right field uh, to play in the play defense and to warm up. And he said something to you about me, about your partner, uh, about me being terrible or something along those lines. And uh, my good friend here, Billy Cooney, just comes walking into the infield while everyone's warming <laughs> up. And I, <laughs> I don't remember the team or the manager, but he just shouted across the field, uh, Hey, uh, hey, hey, Jody, or hey, Bill, whoever the manager was. Hey, you need a new right fielder. He's ejected. <laughs> so I, I said, what happened? And he, you told me later. Yeah, he talked about you and said something bad about you that that uh, would have been an automatic ejection had he said it to you. So he thought he'd get away with it saying to me, and uh, you know we're not tolerating that. So I said, uh, my brother, I'll work with you anywhere, and you're not buying a drink all night. <laughs> You know, uh, Matt, the, the part of the story I never told you was that he came out to right field. He was like, hey, your partner's fucking terrible. I said, yeah, I know, but you still got to go. See you later. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> hey, the bottom, the bottom line is the law was enforced correctly. And, uh, yeah, hey, I, he, he was probably right. I mean, I think, no. I think he was probably Matt, they're totally always right. wrong. They're always wrong. It doesn't matter if they're right. They're wrong. Okay. <laughs> No, that was uh, I, I obviously had way too much sass for what I was doing by coming to me like, yo, you need a new right fielder. But uh, it felt good at the time. <laughs> oh, man, I, as a partner who had my back, you know, just because, uh, you know, I didn't hear it. It was said behind my back. And, uh, you know, he, he knew what he was doing. He, he knew. And of course, he probably played dumb with what I did. I, I didn't say it to him. What, what, yeah. What I do. So that's one of my favorite stories. Anytime I've uh, talked about you to a colleague or so, I've said, oh, well, let me tell you the type of guy that he is. He uh, He's a guy that's going to get your back at all times, and uh, he's a hell of an umpire himself. So uh, just one of uh, many memories from those those few weeks we had together. I do remember a long car ride where we didn't get on the road until midnight, got into Boise, Idaho at like 1030 in the morning maybe and then had a game at seven like there was all kinds of stuff that was just it was such a blur but man I gotta tell you it was 10 years ago which is crazy to think about uh just just so much fun to think back on those times yeah man to me the the most memorable stuff was uh us just having fun together even off the field I mean I never been to Boise Idaho in my life and and I wasn't sure I was ever going to go back until you know they decided to have a baseball team this season <laughs> in our conference but um I I mean I was like damn you know what downtown Boise not that bad we had a pretty good time I, I remember eating like disgusting street polo sausages at like two in the morning and thinking this was a great thing um so yeah no, it was uh, it was a fantastic fantastic ride and like 
like you said, a blur of a, like a two and a half or three weeks, whatever it was from the time I got promoted to the end of the season. So uh, <laughs> couldn't, couldn't have ended 2010 better. Yeah. Oh man. T- 10 years. I just can't believe how quick time, time flies. Um, you know, we didn't get to work together anymore. I did enjoy Boise quite a bit. Good, good city, underrated city. Yep. Uh, you know, I, I ended up, my career ended in 2012, a couple years after that. Uh, you, you stayed in minor league baseball a long time. You, you got to the AAA level. Uh, and, and what can you say about your career, uh, Billy? Just just all together, if you had to sum up your minor league baseball experience and, and getting all the way to AAA, just what that was like. And, and, and even touch on how long you were in, too, because I forget kind of from the time timeline of everything, where everything lined up, too. Yeah, absolutely. So I did a total of uh, eight seasons. Um, I moved, I moved through pretty quickly. I think, uh, a good, a good part of that was because I was a little older getting in. I started my first season at 27 years old. Unlike a lot of guys that are between 20 and 22 or 23 getting into baseball. And so, um, you know, I was a little bit more mature. I didn't need to go out every night and, and, you know, sow my oats uh, as it were, but, uh, I was, I was pretty focused, pretty dedicated. I, I studied pretty hard and, and, and managed to get through, up to AAA in, in five seasons. So I did five seasons um, getting up to AAA and then three there for a total of eight. And uh, I, you know, I, I went into this entire thing before I even went to umpire school, I made up my mind like, Hey, if you're going to do this, there's no regrets. There's no going back because there's a great chance that you'll end up doing this for a number of years and getting nothing out of it on the, on the back end as far as like a major league contract is concerned because it's so tough. It's like being a Supreme Court justice. You know, you're just waiting for people to retire to hope there's enough movement to get yourself in a good position. And, and you know, and uh, 95 times out of 100, that doesn't work. So, um you know, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things where I made up my mind, I'm going to do this, I'm going to go for it, but I'm not going to regret anything on the, on the back end. So, you know, I just, I tried to enjoy my time as much as I could there. Uh, it was a blast. You're essentially getting paid to tour the country. Um, yeah, you're going to go to some cities you would never pick to go to, like, you know, Clinton, Clinton, <laughs> Iowa, off the top of my head, um, working oh, baseball man. games in the summer heat next to the dog food plant, which you can only imagine what that smells like. Uh, but at the same time, you get to go to some pretty amazing places, too. I mean, the Pacific Coast League was just like a dream going to cities like Nashville, Memphis, uh, New Orleans, Las Vegas, uh, Seattle area up in Tacoma. I mean, just some beautiful, beautiful places and and uh, getting getting, you know, what, four or five hours a day where you actually had to work and you could go see the city, see the sites, um, do whatever you wanted the rest of the time. And and that's that's pretty incredible. So, uh, you know, I I really enjoyed it. Uh, You get to meet some great folks along the way. Um, You know, you like you said, you you form these bonds with with guys that you're working with even if it's only for a short period of time and it's it's unlike anything else as far as friendships and and i still have uh guys that i talk to regularly from minor league baseball guys that were in my wedding and uh you know it's just uh it's quite a brethren that you end up uh getting involved with there and and i i wouldn't have traded it for the world even even giving up kind of a career in medicine which is where where i was heading before that uh, I went to, was pre-med in college at UC Davis out in California and, um, and I've been a paramedic for 15 or 16 years now. And, you know, it's, it was one of those things where it's like, okay, I'm giving all that up to, to go chase the baseball dream, but I, I, I would do it all over again, having gone through the whole thing 
And had it not work out, I would still do it all over again. Um, definitely no hard feelings from it. And yeah, everybody can't be a big league umpire. That doesn't mean everyone that tried wasn't good enough to be a big league umpire. It just means, hey, there's not enough spots. And I mean, some of us weren't good enough. Uh, <laughs> that's for damn sure. But uh, either way, just just getting uh, to go through the system and be a part of that was pretty special, pretty amazing. And uh, gave some experiences in my life that, uh, that I very fondly look back upon. Yeah. And, and Billy, what was the biggest reason you would say that you, you said it just now that you went all in? I mean, you were, you had, I don't know much about, you know, med- medicine or the medical field, but you were a paramedic and, uh, you know, all those different things you wanted to pursue in that realm of your life, uh, you put aside to go chase this dream, really. And I mean, I, I heard about a lot of different guys that did that, that had pretty, stable direction of where they were going in life and said, you know what, I want to go do this instead. So what was kind of the thought process and what made you say, you know what, I'm signing up to go to umpire school. What was that like for you? Uh, well, you know, like I said before, we're sadistic people towards ourselves. I think we want to harm ourselves a little bit. And uh, uh, no, uh, you know, I think uh, so for me, umpiring started when I was like 13 years old. I, I remember I was getting a haircut. I, I grew up in a tiny town, Matt. We're talking like 600 people. And so I'm getting, I'm getting my hair cut by the, the town barber. And he was also <laughs> the town little league umpire guy. And so I was getting my hair cut and, and he's like, Oh, you play baseball, right? And I think I saw you out there when you were doing little league. And, and I was past little league at that point. I was like, yeah, you know, I, I uh, really, really love baseball. And it's, it's one of my favorite things in life. And he was like, have you ever thought about being an umpire? And I was like, I mean, I guess I know the rules pretty well, but, you know, like, I hadn't really thought about it. I'm 13. I haven't really thought about it yet. And he's like, you should come out and try. We're always looking for folks. And, you know, we'll start you out on the bases. And and so there began my umpiring career. I went out and, and worked some, you know, Little League baseball games for like 20 or 30 bucks a pop and and uh, had a pretty good time doing it. So from then on, I was it was almost like I was hooked in a little bit that the claws were in me. I Anytime I would get out of – a certain level of play, I would then umpire uh, down. So I got out of Little League, I started umpiring Little League. I got out of Babe Ruth baseball, I started umpiring Babe Ruth baseball. I got out of uh, out of high school baseball and started umpiring high school baseball. So, um, you know, it just kind of kept escalating a little bit here and there. And, and it's really funny, too, because you know, I can remember a lot of people, I think part of it was that I always got some, some good feedback. Hey, you're, you're doing a really great job. You know, I would get called to, to drive hours to go do uh, Babe Ruth tournaments and umpire games. And it felt like I was, I was really good. I remember thinking like, God, I must be, I must be really solid. And then I went to, and then I went to umpire school and learned actually how to umpire and realized I didn't know anything before. And I didn't even know how I existed on the baseball field without even knowing where to stand based on where the runners were on the bases and like where to go when the ball was hit. I didn't know any of that. I was just kind of making it up as I went along and probably doing a really poor job at it. But um, it seemed, seemed like I was doing something right at the time and, and felt like I had a, a, a good natural instinct for it. And uh, so the claws are in you, man, you start to do it and, and you kind of get hooked. And, and I know when I went, I was in college and I was actually doing some more of like coordinating uh, through through college athletics. I worked for our intramural sports department and I uh, hired, trained um, and scheduled all the umpires for slow pitch softball, which is one of the sports that we had. 
And so I kind of kept in umpiring in that uh, indirect way. And so I wasn't actually umpiring myself for a while until I got out of college. And then I was living in San Francisco um, and uh, working in medicine. I was working in the emergency department in uh, Oakland, California. And uh, I started umpiring baseball in San Francisco and kind of got into that high school level again and really, really loved it. It really kind of took off. And that's what was the, the ultimate catalyst for me going for it and then going, you know what, this was something I looked up when I was in college, how to be a big league umpire. And I, you know, saw the umpire schools and kind of just filed it away in the back of my brain. And, and uh, once I caught the fever again, after getting back on the field myself and doing some of those high school games in San Francisco, I was like, Hey, I, I should go for it. So um, that's what kind of launched me and got me going the right direction. And again, I was working for a guy named Don Simon, who I think still uh, coordinates the high school baseball in San Francisco. So, hey, Don, uh, if you happen to be listening. And uh, he was a, a great inspiration for me too. Um, you know, really kind of pushed me in that direction and, and was always super supportive and helpful uh, in my development and, and kind of getting to the next level. So, yeah, that's what, that's what pushed me off the deep end. <laughs> you, you know, what's interesting is what you just talked about. You said, you know, you're, you're in this small town, you're, you're umpiring all these games as a young man and growing up. And uh, you know what you, you were, people were telling you how great you are and you know, how you, you even started to feel a little confidence. Like, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm doing pretty good at this. I'd like to continue. And then you go to a school where there is, you know, 150 other guys just like you uh, some better, some worse. And it's an eye-opening experience. And I don't think there's enough of that self-reflection these days with uh, players. You talk about kids. I don't know how many kids and parents and, uh, you know, they think their kid is just the next big thing. And it's like, do you realize how big the country is? Do you realize how many towns there are? How many teams, you know, where there's the the best kid in, in that town? Well, he's nowhere near the best kid in the next town. And I think it's important to push your kids and, and for players to to want to be the best they can. But I think sometimes people forget that uh, it's good to be good at something and want to be good at something. But uh, as good as you think you are, there's there's someone out there somewhere who is just as good, if not a lot better than you. And I think I think a lot of people don't realize that until it's too late. Yeah, it's that big fish, little pond uh, scenario, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's and I, and if there's any great example of that, it's me growing up in a, such a tiny town. Like, yeah, okay, cool, I'm good at everything. Oh wait, no, I'm not actually. Uh, <laughs> I'm okay at a lot of stuff. That's about as far as it goes. Um, but uh, yeah, there's that uh, that mentality. And when 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 I would tell my friends outside of baseball who you know would idealize these professional athletes, oh my God, you had so and so in a rehab game. Like, what was that like? And I'm like, dude, they're all assholes. Like all of them, they're so, they're so bad to us and, and it would blow their mind. And I'm like, okay, think about it like this. This is a, this is a, a, a guy who from probably Little League was so much better than everybody around him, right? He was like clearly the best player on his Little League team. Hit all the home runs. Everybody's great. He went to, on to high school and he was far and away the best high school player probably in his entire league, if not like a good part of the state. And then he went to college and he was still hitting over 400 and still crushing it, stealing bases and just faster, bigger, stronger than everybody else. Right. And then you get to professional baseball and you look around 
and everybody is just as good as you are. How is that not really hard mentally to deal with, right? And then on top of that, Matt, put on the line millions of dollars worth of contract money that these guys are playing for every day. And so that that pressure I don't think is anything that I could ever – really fully empathize with because I, I clearly have never been in that position. So, um, you know, I, I, while I found it disrespectful most of the time, the way that they acted, especially towards umpires, uh, I could also understand how in, in the, in the psyche that that would be a really tough thing to deal with, especially like you said, their parents told them they were the best, not only their parents, everybody told them they were the best. And everybody told them that they were going on to do great things. And now everyone's just as good as they are and competing for all that money. And, and yeah, that's, that's, that's tough. Well, it's a game of failure. And for those who don't appreciate baseball, it's very different from any other sport out there. Um, I like it for those reasons, but man, yeah. If, if, if it's a game of failure, you can only look at yourself so many times where you want to start looking at other people. And that's just not for players too. that, you know, that goes for us too. That goes for, I mean, everyone, you, you look for excuses. I think the, the more you fail, it doesn't have to be baseball, but uh, in the game of baseball specifically, if you fail so much, you, you mean three out of 10 times, right. Is, is, uh, is really good. And that means you failed seven times theoretically. So, uh, you know, People start to look and point figures, and, and unfortunately, umpires, uh, you know, not that we're perfect. We are far from perfect. We shoot for perfect. But, you know, unfortunately, we're the first person they see a lot of times. And, uh, yeah, that's how kind of the player-umpire relationship is at that level, unfortunately. Yeah, we're a great scapegoat. I mean, the, you know, you got to – as, as any, anybody that's competed knows, you got to blow off steam sometimes. And, and if, you, if you inward reflect too much, you, you self-destruct and, and you got to go, gotta go outward sometimes. I'm not excusing any behavior on the field. And, and as, as you pointed out earlier, I'm not afraid to eject somebody when they do something wrong. But, uh, you know, at the same time, it's like, okay, like I can, I can understand at least a little bit where you're coming from, although not fully able to empathize with that, uh, that level of pressure and, and competition. Well, Billy, I got to ask, uh, you talked about the small town you were from uh, being 600 people in it. Uh, what, what town was that again? It was up in Northern California, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, so if you uh, get out your map and a microscope, uh, you can find uh, the town of Fort Jones, California. Two words, Fort Jones. And it's uh, pretty much dead middle of the state of California, uh, just off of I-5. Uh, about maybe 20 miles or so south of the Oregon border. So basically I grew up in the mountains about 3000 feet of elevation in a, a little farming Valley up there. My parents are both from San Francisco Bay area where they grew up and uh, you know, went to school and stuff. My uh, dad is a dentist and he was just out of uh, dental school living in San Francisco in his apartment back in the uh, late sixties and he had some guy come to his door and uh, knock on the door. He opened it up and uh, the guy uh, stuck a revolver in his mouth and they came in and robbed his entire apartment and uh, took off and left him pretty stunned. But he was like, you know what? I don't think I want to live in the city anymore. This is not the type of life I'm looking for. So he had a friend that uh, had moved from the, the city up to the uh, Scott Valley, Fort Jones, Siskiyou County area. And so he went up there to visit, fell in love, and decided he wanted that uh, cowboy lifestyle and uh, 
bought a little dental practice from a retiring dentist up there in the, the small town. And he is still working in that same building as a 74 year old, uh, doctor of dentistry. Wow, man, Mr. Cunha. How about that? Yep. Uh, well, well, I, I, or excuse me, Dr. Cunha, my Dr. bad. Dr. My apologies. Dr. Doctor. Uh, Doctor. <laughs> oh man. Well, well, you know what? I've been a Californian my whole life. Uh, and, and I'm about ready to get out of this state, Billy. I just, for a lot of reasons, <laughs> it's expensive. There's too many people. Uh, everything seems backwards at times. Uh, very frustrated. I, I just want to get to a small town and just live in peace. That's, that's kind of what, where my mind is at. I'm thinking Arizona, but, but, but who knows, uh, you, you live in Colorado now and you have a unique uh, story as to as to how you got there. I know that uh, you, you recently married, and I know that meeting your wife in Colorado was a big reason that, that you're living there now. So what can you tell our listeners about uh, meeting the future Mrs. Cunha? Yeah, so this is, uh, you know, baseball working itself in mysterious ways. But uh, anyone who's bring, uh, been to the Colorado Springs area, and Colorado knows that uh, the weather here is uh, referred to as schizophrenic. Uh, you never know what you're going to get from day to day. Uh, and that especially uh, is true during the spring. So uh, the AAA team was here, the Colorado Springs Sky Sox. Uh, they have since moved that AAA franchise down to San Antonio. And now there's a short season A team that is here. But um, at the time, the AAA Sky Sox, uh, I was in town umpiring and we had a snow out in April. So you hear about rainouts a lot. Not too many snow outs happen during the uh, baseball season, but every once in a while. So especially in Colorado Springs, definitely possible. So we got snowed out um, early on in the day. We basically woke up to six or eight inches of snow on the ground, and it was like, yep, nope, this one's banged early, so go have yourselves a pretty good day. So went to the gym, uh, worked out, came back to the hotel, and was like, man, I can't just sit here all day. Uh, so I did what any person would do back at the time, which was get on Yelp and figure out where I'm going to go get some good food. Uh, found a, a cool coffee shop. It looked pretty good. Went to go get myself a warm beverage and, uh, held the door for a beautiful young blonde woman who, uh, came in line next to me. And I decided, well, it'd be stupid not to talk to her. So I asked her, uh, Hey, uh, what's good here? You've been here before. I'm, you know, from out of town. So um, she was like, well, uh, I know it's funny. I'm at a coffee shop. I don't really drink coffee. I always drink tea. So she gets tea. And, um, I was like, all right, okay. That sounds pretty good. So I got coffee because, you know, coffee and, uh, decided to join her at the table. We ended up talking for about two or three hours at the coffee shop, uh, got towards the later part in the evening and I invited her out for dinner. We went and had dinner. Um, so it turned into quite a long, uh, serendipitous first date. And uh, we were pretty much donezo from then on. So I, uh, I pestered her over uh, phone and uh, over FaceTime uh, for a couple of uh, weeks until I could convince her to come visit me on the road somewhere because I didn't have any games back in Springs anytime soon. And uh, bless her heart, she must have been really stupid because she agreed to get on a flight and come to uh, Tacoma. And met me up there and, uh, you know, we, it was, it was done. We like, we both kind of knew it right away. This is, this is it. So, uh, you know, we, we've been together since then. That was, uh, let's see, that was my second year in the, in AAA. So 2016 
And uh, I was working with uh, Tommy Newsom and Blake Felix were my two partners. And so they were super curious about this girl that was going to uh, fly halfway across the country to see me in a city only after, you know, basically going on one date and then talking a bunch over the phone. So, um, yeah, those those guys were uh, cutely curious. They kept coming up to my room when she was there being like, hey, I just wondered if you had whatever, which is something they didn't need at all, just to like try to see her and see what was going on and hang out for a little while. So uh, they were they were awesome. But uh, no, it's it was one of those things where we just clicked and then couldn't stop talking, couldn't stop enjoying each other. And uh, so that was in April. We she came out to see me a couple of times. Uh, she came to Tacoma. She came to Salt Lake City. Uh, she drove down to Albuquerque, which is only about four and a half or five hours south of Springs. Uh, she came. She flew out to Nashville to see me later that season. And then during the All Star break, she flew into Fresno. We went up to uh, Yosemite National Park, drove over to the Bay Area. Uh, did San Francisco, went up to Napa, did wine country all in the three-day all-star break. So that was pretty fantastic. And uh, I mean, we were just kind of off to the races. So um, uh, loved her to, to pieces. We ended up getting married uh, a couple of years later in Yosemite in July, 2018. We uh, got married kind of there in Yosemite where we had gone that uh, first summer that we were falling for each other. And, um, you know, here we are a couple of years later and, beautiful Colorado. And, uh, we've got our first kiddo on the way actually. So we got a baby boy Cunha due in October. Oh, that's fantastic. Great news. Glad to hear it. I'm sure the Cunha family is, uh, is thrilled as well as her family. That's, uh, I did, you know, uh, that wasn't, uh, that, that wasn't news in February, uh, to my understanding, you know, no. so I, that is, I, uh, Brent. my understanding either. <laughs> <laughs> he was probably in there somewhere but uh you know i don't know if it was known to us at that time yeah oh that's fantastic man well i couldn't be happier for you i gotta tell you blake felix and thomas newsom and yourself i mean no shortage of personalities on that crew wow what a what a, what a crew oh man love both those guys good guys uh yeah i could just see them doing that billy saying like hey hey who's this girl who's uh, oh, what's up totally with yeah, I remember. I remember Blake being like, "Oh, I think I saw her bra. Was that her bra on the chair?" Oh, so I'm like, "Dude, calm down. It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay." Oh my also, goodness! You need to find somebody, bud. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> You're going through a dry oh, spell. It's fine. It's not a big deal. Well, it, you know what? You talk about timing, though. I mean. Billy, can you imagine if you went to the restaurant on the, in the looking at Yelp, you went to the restaurant either above or below the one you were looking at? <laughs> Never, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy. So, I mean, that's, it's, uh, it's a great story to tell because it is so random and uh, so, so unique. And, and uh, I, I feel very, very fortunate. Oh man, that's, that's great stuff. And uh, see, uh, you never know what you're going to get with minor league baseball. Uh, <laughs> you found the woman of your dreams at a coffee shop in a, uh, in a snowed out Colorado. And, and naturally you guys got to, uh, she got to go and meet you in some pretty great cities. Uh, I got to ask, what, what are your thoughts on this? Because I've talked to different guys uh, and gotten different opinions on this, but is it, do you think it's easier it, uh, to meet someone while you're umpiring in the minor leagues and the, the fact that, okay, this is when they, this is, you are who you are, right? When you're, when you're umpiring in the minor leagues, it's like, Hey, this is no surprise. You met me. 
when I was doing this? Or do you think I've seen it the other way too? Some guys meet meet the you know the woman of their dreams, and whether they're married or not, they meet them before they go into the minor leagues. And then it's like, okay, I knew you before you were in this minor leagues, but I'm ready to stick it out with you. I mean, sound like, you know, your wife was with you for, for a year or so, a year and a half maybe. And like, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Because I've seen it work both ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, <clears throat> I think it can play out kind of either way. And so I, you know, it's, it's fun to talk about how successful it was meeting Jocelyn and, and how we felt for each other and how we stuck it out and got through, you know, the next couple of years of baseball. And uh, while we are crazy about each other, it didn't, doesn't mean it was easy because the more you like somebody, the harder it is to be away from them for six months at a time. You know what I mean? Obviously you get some visits here and there, but uh, you know, it's sort of like deployment. You're off, off and gone somewhere. And it's a lot of phone calls and, and uh, trying to stick it out. So I, I think, while at least the expectations are good uh, when you meet somebody when you're already in the game because they know that's what you do, uh, there's no questioning it. There was there was no before to be different once you get into it. Um, you know, I I lost out on a lot of great relationships because of baseball too. So, um, you know, the girl I was dating at the time when I uh, went to go to umpire school. Uh, sort of gave me an ultimatum where it's like, okay, if you're going to go do that, well, you better propose right now then. And it was like, uh, okay, hold on now. Like I said, <laughs> just because I'm going to do this doesn't mean that I'm, I'm forgetting about you. And so, you know, different people take things differently. I, I, I really uh, think it's pretty amazing for any woman that sticks it out through baseball and especially the guys that eventually make it to the big leagues and are, are gone not just for like, you know, you know, a few years during all their summers, but they're gone for 30 years during all their summers. And, uh, you know, those, those parents that are basically raising, uh, kids as, as single parents, even though, you know, dad's out there and he's, he's doing his thing. He's, it's gone. He's not, he's not at the house. So, um, you know, anybody that can stick that out is, is a pretty amazing person because it's really easy for someone to, either write it off when they first meet you because, Oh, you're an umpire, you travel, this isn't going to work or for someone to be upset because it's not the same as it used to be. Um, so I think either way it's, it's, it's a, it's a certain uh, character trait that allows somebody to, to, to put up with us umpires. And I mean that on many different levels, uh, cause we are hard to deal with. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing to me when any relationship can work out long-term with baseball. Yes. Yes. It's a, uh, it is, it's a challenge within itself. And I think these are the things that, that not your average uh, person thinks about uh, what it's like, because yeah, you know what? Umpires don't have any home games, <laughs> you know, during the season, they're always on the road. There's no home games. It's always, uh, you know, the players get a home and away and they're usually not from the city they're playing in, but you know what I mean? It's like you, you set up a home base anyway. Um, I mean, I mean, what was it like though? You, so, so you, so you meet her, I got to imagine you're like, oh, yeah. So what do you do? Well, uh, I'm a professional baseball umpire. I'm in my seventh season, of the minor leagues, and uh, I go city to city every three days. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I really like talking to you. Like, <laughs> You know, it, it almost comes out like I mean, I'm sure it wasn't phrased exactly that way, but I could see how for, for most women that initial conversation would not be something that appealing. 
you know, so it, it definitely she's somebody I'm sure who is very understanding and and uh, you know was was willing to uh, to listen to you and and not just blow you off uh, because you know she probably had every reason to <laughs> every reason to if you think about it like oh oh you're not guys around. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I mean, so the, the, okay, I'm so glad you said that because it reminded me of a really key part of the story. So she did blow me off. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> talking, talking to her now about that first day and then like kind of what she was thinking, because you never know what someone's actually thinking uh, when mm-hmm. you're talking to them. I remember when we got to the point where it was like, okay, what do you do? I'm an umpire. I travel around and, you know, here, there and everywhere for six months out of the year uh she said like her her whole like like heart dropped out of the bottom it was like oh dang it i was really clicking with this guy i liked him he doesn't even live here first of all and then second of all he's gone all the time like what in the heck and so we at the end of our dinner date that night we had made plans to hang out again the next day and she had some stuff she had to do for work uh earlier in that day and then we were going to meet up and and go out again and uh she kept like pushing the time frame back a little further each time. I was like, Oh no, yeah, I'm still doing, I'm still at work. I can't. Uh, okay. No, oh, sorry. I won't be able to hang out tonight. And so that was the last day that I was in town for that series before I had to go to the next stop. And so kind of like uh, almost as like a hail Mary kind of like feeling a little bit burnt and rift. I was like, you know, I'm going to go ahead and call her out on it. And I was like, Hey, why did you have such a great time with me that first day, make plans to hang out with me and then just bail? Like that's kind of shitty. And so she was like, she felt bad. So she called me. So I sent her, of course I sent her some like passive aggressive text uh, thinking that I was, (laughs) you know, standing up for myself or whatever. And so she felt bad because I guilt tripped her apparently at work. So yay for petty behavior. Um, (laughs) She she calls me, calls me up and we ended up uh, talking on the phone for a few minutes. She apologized. And then all of a sudden we, first thing we know, it's like an hour later and we're still on the phone just chatting about whatever. And it was like, you know, apparent that that connection uh, wasn't going anywhere anytime soon. So I think that's ultimately what, what made it click for us right there was that like, even, even when something wasn't quite going the way we wanted it to, uh, we were, we were still in sync. And so, uh, yeah, she did blow me off and I, and I like to, to give her a little crap every time I can with that one, but uh, uh, you know, it all worked out in the end. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful love story, my friend. It's great. I mean, it worked out. And and how many guys could say, hey, I mean, they take their uh, they're starting out dating somebody. How, I mean, how many guys could say, hey, I'm going to take you out in Nashville. Hey, I'm going to take you out uh, in 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 the Bay Area. Hey, I'm going to take you out in New Orleans or where, like you know what I mean. Like it sounds like you took advantage of uh, of your travel. And, and I think a lot of guys uh, do well with that when they are able to really show there's significant other, uh, that, you know what, it, it is tough, but there are times where, uh, you can enjoy what's going on together. And I think it's all, you know, it's, it's cliche, but it's not about, it's not about counting the time. It's making the, the time count. Right. Absolutely. Hey, uh, first date coffee shop, second date, Seattle, third date, Nashville. You know what I mean? I mean, that sounds pretty good on paper. Gotta say. <laughs> absolutely. I, I, she got, absolutely, man. That, that is good stuff. I mean, you just, you never know where, where the how things are going to work out. Baseball is a funny game. It's even it's even more funny off the field with all the connections and the stories and the uh, how things line up. Sometimes it's it's great stuff. Uh, Billy, what can you tell me about you? You got out of minor league baseball, and and it's always 
maybe some guys it's not as big of a transition and you know it, it it is a baseball game you know it's a different baseball game I think but what what was it like for you did you want to work college baseball did was it kind of like I, I I don't know about all that or or was it yeah hey I'll take these skills that I learned all these years and, and put them to work still and what can you tell me just about the natural um uh, uh, going into uh, transitioning from professional baseball to college baseball? Uh, so, you know, I think in general, just anybody that's eventually gotten the news that, you know, you, you cannot follow your dream any further. Uh, it's, it's a tough message to hear whether you were expecting it or not. And I think as umpires, especially getting into the minor leagues, the first thing they tell us, uh, when we're essentially auditioning at what was the P-Buck tryouts back then, it was like, hey, there's a very low chance that you're going to actually reach what you want to reach here. And did anybody get up and walk out of that room? No, nobody does. We all try anyways, right? And mm-hmm. so no matter how much we know the odds, it still hurts to, to get that final phone call and say, hey, your services are no longer needed. Um and so that's, that's tough. That's, that's really tough. Um, I, I was fortunate because I had someone that I really cared about who was there to support me through it, my wife now. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, that was super helpful, but uh, you know, it's not always easy because, you know, you're, you get home from the season and you start doing your off season stuff, which is, you know, small stuff to get by. I substitute taught, which it's just another one of those professions where you're just like beating yourself down every day for fun. <laughs> and then, um, you know, you, you do what you can to fill in the holes and, and just make ends meet before spring training kicks up again. And then all of a sudden uh, it's mid October and, and uh, you know, they're giving you a call saying uh, thanks, but no thanks. And uh, you know what it's, you're going shoot. Uh that backup plan of having money coming my way in March when spring spring training starts is no longer there. So now I got to get a big boy job. Um, and that's, that can be tough, man. It's not easy to just be out of normal job life for that long. And then all of a sudden need to, you know, get your act together and find a sustainable career um, mm-hmm. versus just, you know, something to get by. And it, it took a while, man. I got all the way through to um, to spring that year after uh, baseball said no, and I was still just substitute teaching. And, and you know, you don't make that much money doing it. So it's uh, I was broke by the time uh, the college baseball season rolled back around again and, and really needed needed something, needed anything. And so that really – um, kind of helped motivate me to, to transition and stay in, in the game and stick with college um, because it is one of those things kind of like we talked about before where you have this this great set of skills that are no longer valuable in society except for one small place but that doesn't mean it's easy to jump in you don't just jump in and get handed a full season of college baseball and expect yeah. to make you know thirty forty thousand dollars that year from it that's not how it works You've got to get to know the assigners. You've got to wiggle your way in and do a game here or there. You've got to have people vouch for you. And that's where, you know, all those relationships that you have with umpires throughout your time in college baseball, or sorry, throughout minor league baseball come in handy because when somebody like Matt Hersema says, hey, uh, you know, assigner in whatever college conference, I worked with Billy back in the day. 
stand-up guy. Not only is he uh, a good umpire, but he is, a, you know, a crew guy, and he'll he he's got your back. When you have somebody that can say that for you, it can make all the difference in the world as far as college is concerned. Because you know these college assigners, they don't know you from anybody. They they know they heard maybe you worked some professional baseball, but they probably don't know how much you worked or or if you were any good, right? So they they need they need to know before they're just going to send anybody out there on the field because they want to deliver a premium product every time they send an official out on the field. So it's not some walk in the park. Um, I will say it's easier. Uh, as a former professional umpire to get into the college ranks than it is for somebody just kind of going through the, the uh, high school and JUCO and all of that stuff, getting up to D one, we do get to just pretty much start out in D one, which is fantastic. And I'm really thankful for that. But um, you know, at the end of the day, it was, it was that, that money that like, Hey, I need, I need some games and even just getting a handful of games um, in the in the Mountain West Conference was like super exciting for me. Uh, that's also the pretty much the same time in in early April I found out that I got hired on to work at Target as well. So it was uh, you know a, a pretty good a pretty good time for me of of having all those things fall into place. Yeah, I think uh, some guys are just uh, diamond dogs and they and they love the game of baseball and, and they'll umpire anything and. Uh, they, you know, they just want to keep working and they, they just grind through it. And, and there was a time in my life where that was me. I was like, yeah, let's go. But as you kind of grow older, you're like, man, uh, <laughs> I don't want to drain myself physically or mentally as much as I used to. And, and the college game is very, is very unique. Everything you said was, was very true. Uh, I, I, I have grown uh, a lot of friendships in the college game of guys who weren't in pro ball guys that have been in pro ball, you kind of all meet back up, right? Like uh, not quite spring training, but you get all these different guys from different eras of pro ball now working in the college game. And, and, and I think it's really good for college baseball. You, you typically don't get uh, former NBA guys working uh, you know, college basketball, you don't for, former NFL guys. Now those are the highest levels that, you know, none of us were major league baseball guys. I get that, but, but still uh, having the 140 games a year in a regular season experience in any level of professional baseball uh, is definitely beneficial to, to going into work in the college game. So I have, I have a ton, ton of friendships from college baseball. I, I enjoy it. Uh, it's a, it's very different. Uh, the money's not bad. It's, it's pretty good. But yeah, th there are some challenges also kind of we talked about at the beginning of this interview just about, you know, our status and everything. It was really sad to see the season shortened. Uh, but but I look forward to hopefully getting back out there soon, maybe, maybe next season if there is a season. I don't know. Um, but but yeah, Billy, college baseball, it's it's a different animal, I'd say. But at the end of the day, it, it's still 90 foot bases, uh, you know. Uh, a baseball, a bat, some gloves, uh, you know what, same umpire equipment. So it's a little different game to manage, but uh, I still enjoy doing it and maybe some days more than others. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, I, funny story for my first college game ever. I, I never worked any type of college uh, before getting into to pro ball and even during pro ball, I had never uh, jumped into the NC2A ranks. And so uh, it was that, like that, you know, first spring that I was telling you about where I was like, cool, I got a handful of games. This is going to be great. Uh, I'm living in Colorado Springs. I'm working my first game over here at Air Force. And uh, 
you know, the pitchers are warming up and I'm like, all right, you know, I got this. This is, this is fine. Like, it's not that different. Everything's going to be cool. Let's do this. And so I get behind the plate and the first pitch of the game is about a 52 foot fastball that uh, bounces in front of the dirt. I think maybe an on plate if it even made it to the dirt and the catcher uh, all of a sudden is nowhere to be found. And I'm, you know, the creature of habit, I'm locked in back there. And this ball takes one hop and then comes right off of my belt buckle. And I was like, poof, narrow miss. And welcome to college baseball. All right, let's do this. So it was a good, a good first, uh, good first pitch. And I was, uh, you know, ready to go after that. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's been a long time since since I worked. Uh, I worked professional baseball. Well, I, I did a little independent ball a few years ago, but uh, so so it was it was refreshing to go back to kind of some of the way things operate in professional baseball, mm-hmm. any level that. But, uh, you know, college baseball, it's uh, it's still it's an interesting game. Um, you know what? I, I don't want to sit here and talk bad about it because, you know, it pays the bills for us. And uh, I, I enjoy doing it more, more, more so from the standpoint of I get to work with some really good friends. Again, go to some pretty cool cities. Uh, you're only there, you know, three days, typically on the weekend. And then, you know, you're home for a few days. Uh, so, it, so it is nice to be able to go back and forth from, from the cities to your home. I think that is one thing I appreciate better than the travel in professional baseball, but you know, we all got to make our transitions and I'm just, I'm just hopeful that we have a college baseball season next year, because at this point, I don't know with all the COVID stuff going on, uh, what that transition is going to be like for the country and the university. So it's a very unique situation we're in. And I think, uh, you know, I think ultimately we're just kind of in a waiting game right now. No, absolutely. And, and you're right. A hundred percent. Like, you know, is, is the level of college ball, not what it was in professional ball. Yeah, of course. They, these are kids that are still learning how to play the game. They're not professionals yet. They're not going to be quite as good. Is it, does that take anything away from it? No, not at all. You know, it, uh, it is a, it is still a very competitive game. Um, and to be honest, more fun things happen from an umpiring perspective on a college field than they do on a professional field because those guys are dialed. They know what they're doing all the time. There's never any weird plays, which we feast on as umpires. We love that weird stuff. It doesn't always happen. Um, so, you know, it's uh, to me, I've, I've found that I can, you know, those weird plays in a rule book that don't come up very much. Yeah, they happen more often on a college field. It's uh, it's it's a very uh, authentic version of baseball um, that, that is played there. And, and I love it. Um, you know, there's a good mix of pro guys. There's a good mix of amateur guys. And, and, um, you had talked about that 140 game, you know, season seasons that the pro guys got the luxury of working versus, you know, what, maybe 30, 35, 40 games that, uh, the amateur guys get a chance to do. That's, that's not enough time to, to really, uh, get the reps that you need as an umpire and so it's it's to me the guys that are really impressive that come from the amateur ranks I have more respect for because they do it without all the repetition that we had we're spoiled we got the reps we got to go get all the the tutelage from former professional umpires and and get years to jump in and try to hone that craft and these guys are are basically weekend warriors that are on the same field with us competing at the same level in an umpiring perspective and doing a fantastic job and and it always uh you know warms my heart to see these guys out there um just crushing it yeah uh, absolutely i mean 100 percent on that uh because i look back at myself 
if I had not gone to umpire school and, and been in minor league baseball, if what would I have achieved that? You know, I, I don't know that I would have. I, I'm trying to be honest with myself. Uh, I like to think I would have been hungry enough and climbed through the ranks uh, and, and eventually gotten there. But if I'm if I'm really honest, I, I, I honestly don't know. So, yes, kudos to the guys that do it, that that, uh, that scrap through, because, yeah, they're they are going up against some guys with a lot of experience, even though even if it's younger guys, you know, guys who are in their uh, late, late 20s, early 30s, whatever the case may be, uh, having those reps in minor league baseball, like you said, is is priceless. Uh, you know, Billy, I want to talk right now about kind of the, the current situation that we're all facing we've all been facing the past couple of months has the whole covid lockdown these past few months has that changed much of your life as far as your job goes are you working less hours are you working from home your wife uh, what's her situation like has it affected your household uh we've all been affected in some way or another but but what has the past few few months been like with this very unique situation we've all been in Gotcha. Yeah. No, it's uh, hey, 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 listeners out there. I don't know if you guys are picking up on this, but Matt is very good with his segues. I mean, he just tossed in a little bit of COVID like five minutes ago and then boom, we've got the COVID <laughs> question. This guy is dialed. Okay. Um, so uh, no, fantastic question. Matt. Uh, I want, I'm going to answer that in a couple of ways. Uh, one, it's, it's absolutely a hundred percent affected uh, my life here. Um, and it also hasn't at the same time. And, and let me kind of talk to those things. Uh, first off, my uh, wife's a kindergarten teacher. Uh, she works for a private school here in Colorado Springs. And uh, Colorado was one of the first states to say, uh, e-learning, go home. We're all going to, you know, keep our distance. We're going to lock it down. Um, we're going to, uh, your teachers are going to teach from home. Uh I am in the fortunate position of working for uh, a retail giant who gets to stay open because they, you know, provide essential products to our guests at the stores. And so, you know, I work in the distribution side of things and we, we have to be there to fulfill the trucks that go to the stores that, that stock the aisles. So, uh, you know, we, we very much uh, did not change anything. And I feel very fortunate to uh, not have even had a, a, a change in income at all from, from Target's perspective. Uh, obviously, we lost out on some, some good money from baseball, but uh, you know, I still have a job and I feel super fortunate uh, that I was able to keep that all the way through uh, this COVID crisis, uh, which is still very much uh, going on. And, and uh, California obviously is a, is a big hot spot. Um, even just starting out was one of the one of the first uh, states to get a lot of positive cases and, and you guys have had to buckle down for quite some time over there. So um, in addition to my wife being pregnant during this time, which obviously carries a lot of risk because we don't know a whole lot about long-term effects of this virus and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. She's also has an immune deficiency, which uh, is, makes it really easy for her to get sick in general. And so um, especially um, stuff like respiratory uh, things like that, those type of uh, illnesses can can be triggered pretty easily with her. And on top of that, she's also asthmatic. So um, she's sort of like the trifecta for uh, if COVID's going to hit somebody hard, it's going to it's going to hit her. And so um, I was lucky enough to uh, convince my boss at Target to let me work from home for a while. And um, when stuff started to ramp up, kind of towards uh, 
you know, end of March, early April, I was able to get about uh, six or so weeks uh, work from home out of the building. And, and by doing that, I took on a lot of extra work to, to make sure that uh, everyone didn't think I was just going home and, and hanging out since I did, uh, you know, talk earlier about how important it is for me to, to be in the building. Obviously, I work on human resources without like touching base with people face to face. You know, that's a good part of my job. So it was it was definitely tough to work from home but we we made it work and and um it it definitely uh helped out here by by keeping us safe by keeping us a little bit more worry free um and trying to trying to live life as normal so uh did it affect us yes it did i i ended up having to work from home Uh, my wife worked from home which is a whole different challenge of trying to teach kindergartners through zoom um, I'm sure you can only imagine the the <laughs> challenges that would arise <laughs> from that uh, with five-year-olds that don't even know how to work a computer that well, all like putting their eyeballs up next to the camera and all of a sudden their feet are up in the air and that's all you can see. And, you know, trying to hold down the fort and, and teach a lesson uh, was very uh, <laughs> entertaining for me to watch, I'm sure, not so much for her. Um, but, uh, you know, the challenges that come for me, uh, working at home and then just the simple things in everyday life that, that are no longer an option, um, going out and and getting some food in a restaurant, no longer an option. Going to the store to get groceries is now a risk, right? So, you know, trying to take advantage of, of, okay, can we do like order pickup, um, at either Safeway or King Super, which is like the Kroger brand of grocery store out here. And uh, there were times where where the pickup dates for um, uh, picking up your food would be pushed almost a week out because so many people were signing up for this uh, pick up their groceries uh, option. And and so that kind of makes it very tough. And, and we have to we were being very diligent about wearing masks and, and trying to keep Jocelyn basically out of any type of, of public place where she could potentially catch the virus. And, and that put a lot more on me, obviously, for having to go out and, you know, make sure that we were doing all the shopping to, to, to keep uh, food in the house and um, also minimizing my risk of transmitting it to her. And uh, so, yeah, it absolutely affected us. But at the same time, we both still had our jobs. We both still had a steady paycheck. Uh, we never once went hungry and neither one of us so far across our fingers have been sick. So, um, you know, I feel pretty fortunate to have kind of gotten through all that so far. I know that uh, obviously this is not over. I don't think it's going to be over for a while completely. Um, folks are definitely getting more confident getting back out into society and doing some quote unquote normal things, even though normal is very much a new normal uh, at this point. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's tough, and and you know some of the the stuff we don't think of that much is kind of the mental toll that it takes on folks. You know, even as fortunate as we are to still have our jobs and to to still be able to pretty much uh, live our quote unquote normal lives, it's it's tougher. Someone like my wife, who's very outdoorsy, she was a, a you know a D one uh, runner in college and and beyond she uh qualified for the uh olympic level um cross country team and and was a fantastic athlete obviously we love to do hiking and all these things and and now anytime we go out of our house we have to weigh the risk versus the reward 
But mm-hmm. um, when you stay inside that much, there is a mental toll to that thing. And, and it's, it's tough to be kind of cooped up for that long and, and just simple stuff can, can seem daunting at times. So yeah, it's been, it's been rough. Um, while we are still very fortunate going through this, it's still at the same time, a, a tough experience. Yeah. I think there's been a lot of uh, different levels of, of, of people having to go through things that, uh, yeah, that, that we don't all think about. And you know what, I gotta be honest. I think there's a lot of people that are very restless right now. I, I don't, I know there is, there is a, a, a virus. I think a lot of people want to say, Oh, there's nothing that, you know, it's, there's not nothing there. There's absolutely something there. there. There's been people that have sick. There's been people that have died. Uh, I think some people feel uh, some of the, the things that have gone into effect were maybe overboard. People want things open up, but you know, but you know what, unfortunately there's going to be some more, um, more, more virus uh, infection out there basically in the next few months. And, and you know what, I think, I think the biggest thing this is, this has opened my eyes to is that, we all need to be a lot better about the things we can control. I mean, washing our hands every single time, uh, be, being careful about when we, uh, when we're at a restaurant, a bar, a grocery store, what we touch. I mean, it's, it's made me a lot more aware of my actions. And, and I think there's a lot of people out there that are just not always very responsible in their daily lives. I'm not talking specifically with the quarantine, but just, Outside of all this, uh, I think we can all be a little more safe. I think there's some, uh, I don't know another term, but you know, the, the, the people that are very paranoid about health and healthy and, and safety and stuff. Um, again, not like now, but like just in general, I don't know if we need to go that far, but yeah, we can all do so much more and be way more aware about our health at all times. Because yeah, if we're going to just be irresponsible with, uh, spreading germs or, or, you know, going to work sick or whatever the case is. Uh, yeah. Bad things like this can happen. So that's kind of my thoughts on it all. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, it's being a former healthcare worker, pretty passionate about this stuff. And, and I get mm-hmm. it. It's, it doesn't affect everybody. And that's part of the hard part, I think, is that if you don't know anybody that's gotten sick, it's a lot harder to think about what could go wrong and what could happen. But we all need to take that step back and realize that while we might be healthy, we can easily spread it and, and pass it on. And, and just, it's that awareness. You nailed it on the head, Matt. It's that awareness of like, okay, even if I think that this is all BS and, you know, probably something somebody made up or, or, or yeah, it exists, but it's not that it's not as bad as everyone says it is. Um, still, still, why not just be aware? Why not put a mask on when you go to the grocery store? Why not, uh, you know, give that guy in the, in the aisle a little bit more space than you used to do. Um, it's, it's the little things that we can do to kind of look out for for everybody and just kind of keep that overall awareness intact and, and consider that, Hey, I'm not the only human here. I know I'm antsy. I know I want to get out and have a good time and do the things I used to be able to do. No problem. But hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the hit for a little bit longer and see if we can really curb this thing. And um, in the grand scheme of things, hopefully that vaccine comes out soon. 
people can get hooked up and then we'll be good to go. Or we can look back on this and go, yeah, that was crazy, man. But you know, end of the end of the story wasn't that wasn't that bad because we were able to get back to normal life and and now we're good again and again it can be a memory instead of something that persists and gets worse and worse and worse and uh, you know all it takes is one person that you know or one person in your family or one person in your extended family or friends to get that virus and go through a really really bad experience at the hospital like some of these folks are going through to open your eyes to how bad this could be and while yes there is not a huge percentage of the population that has this virus. Still, a lot of people have died from it and a lot of people can get sick and we don't want it to be anybody that we know. We don't want it to be somebody that we care about because that's where the devastation comes in. Yeah. I I think that, uh, that's, uh, 100% on, you know, that's a lot of truth to that. Um, we, we can all contribute. I, I think, uh, you know, put, put the virus away for a second. I think in general, as a society, uh, you know, you see a lot of, uh, negativity. I hope that when this is all said and done, that it will be a situation we can look back on and be like, you know what? We really had some tough times. We were in a lot of disagreement, but we got through it. We all got through this and we, we, uh, went on to our lives and and you know what, something else popped up, popped up down the road. Uh, you know, I, I, that's, that's what I'm hopeful for is that things as much disagreement as there is, uh, regarding the virus that, you know what, uh, this will pass eventually. We don't know when, we don't know how it's got a lot of people riled up, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we're hoping that, uh, very soon things are, things are, uh, changed. And, and I, and I sure hope for, for you guys, you know, o- October is not that far away, brother. I mean, uh, you know, for the, for the little one coming into the world, uh, you know what, that's an exciting time. And I hope things are settled down quite a bit then so that everyone could just focus on uh, welcoming yeah, that's a, uh, a new addition to the family better or worse by the time that gets here. And, and to be honest, the other day was the first day that I could actually mm-hmm. go, to one of the ultrasound appointments and, and see my kid on, on live screen, you know, uh, normally I would have gone to two or three others in the interim, but guests were not allowed to come with my wife. Even, even me as a father could not go until very, very recently here in Colorado. So, um, you know, it's, it's been, it's definitely been affecting our lives in those small ways. We've been lucky to not have it affect our life in a big way. And, um, just crossing our fingers that that come October that I can actually maybe, you know, be in the hospital when this happens and that we will not have to have a separation time away from our baby right after it's born just to make sure that it stays clear of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's great stuff. You know, it's great stuff to look forward to. And uh, I, I really hope everyone's kind of does that. It looks forward. You know, we, you know, we got all we can do. That's the only direction we're going, right? We don't get younger. We get older. We got to look forward, start making progress in all areas of our lives. And I really am hopeful that, uh, you know, for you guys, uh, you guys can just have a, a great big celebration in October. I know that uh, I, I speak for a lot of people. I'm sure that I'm very happy for both of you guys and just uh, all this stuff, man. I, I can't believe how time flies, uh, whether it be uh, 10 years between us working games together, uh, you know, in February or uh, versus uh, 2010 or, or us talking here on the uh, podcast. Uh, Billy, it's it's flown by. I, I know it's uh, we're recording this on a Saturday night, actually pretty late at night. Um, 
but that was the time that you were available and you wanted to get it done. So I said, well, let's make it happen, man. I can't pass up the opportunity to talk with my, uh, my good friend, Billy Cunha. And it's just been a blast, man. We've, we've, uh, we've covered it all really. We've <laughs> gone down memory lane and talked about some great stuff. And I just, I couldn't be happier for all the things that have worked out the way they have in your life, my man. It, it's been awesome. Uh, I can't believe, uh, you know, this all stemmed from just us working together for a few weeks way back in 2010. And, and here we are talking on a podcast, uh, you know, a thousand miles apart or whatever it is. Hold <laughs> and up, just this is a having a great time. Wait, dude, you got to tell me these things in advance. I would have prepped for this. Come on. <laughs> That's what I just a long phone call uh, between friends. It's always a pleasure talking to you and hanging out. <laughs> And uh, I miss you, brother. Wish we were uh, closer in proximity so that we could see a little bit more of each other's faces. And and uh, I think that that's awesome that you uh, are are chasing this podcast and and doing it as much as you're doing it and getting all those episodes out. And and uh, I hope it goes really well for you. Oh man, I, I appreciate it so much. It's been a blast to catch up with with everyone from the past. And, uh, you know, I figure I got nothing else going on right now because of the, the lockdown situation. So why not, uh, why not try to try to work on something and get some reps and if nothing else, get to chat with some friends from the past and catch up. So I uh, appreciate the support. Yes. Let, let's, uh, let's try to get together here soon. Uh, I, I haven't been to Colorado in a long time, so uh, maybe who knows when everything gets settled down. And uh, if not, I'll be seeing you on a baseball field at hey, some college university. Me, I and, hope uh, man, have, feel free to have me back on the podcast anytime. Uh, uh, like people always tell me, I got a face for radio, so let's do this. <laughs> you and me both, my friend. We'll take care. Give my best to Jocelyn, the whole family. Uh, you guys, uh, God bless you all, man. And uh, yes, you will be back on this podcast hey, for sure. Trust safe. me. I guarantee you that. <laughs> Another huge thank you to Billy Cunha. Thanks so much for joining us on the program. Such a fun time catching up with you. My very best to you and your wife. Uh, you know, congrats on the the new addition to the family. I hope the month of October brings you nothing but joy and a new addition to the family. Just excited for you guys. That is great stuff. And once again, it was great catching up with you, my friend. I hope to see you very soon. Well, guys, as you know, there's plenty of ways to catch up with us on the Get Home Safe podcast. You can follow us through Twitter, our Get Home Safe pod handle we have there, Get Home Safe pod. Our, our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe podcast. And our email address, again, is gethomesafepodcast at yahoo.com. We hope to hear from some of you on uh, uh, about upcoming shows, about any topics. Feel free to email in. Uh, let's let's get some conversation going. Whatever you guys want to talk about, I'm going to continue to give my opinions about. Uh, also, bring up some current events and, of course, bring on some great guests that uh, are from various aspects of my life, whether it be my high school days, my early college days, uh, minor league baseball, college baseball, whatever it may be. We want to talk to some good people and, and uh, hear their voices and reminisce a little bit and get some opinions on current events. And you know what? I can promise you that tomorrow on Wednesday, Bill Barnes, he will bring it hard as he always does uh, with his very, very strong opinions on current events, uh, whether it be the virus or uh, the 
protests and riots going on and the various activities going on around our country. Bill Barnes will have strong opinions. He's here every single Wednesday for the weekly Wednesday weigh-in. Appreciate his time. Really looking forward to sitting down with him every single week. Uh, It's been a fun time chatting with him. He brings a little fiery energy, I think, that the some of the listeners enjoy and maybe some others don't. But he's here with us every single Wednesday. Can't wait to record with him and get a show out on Wednesday morning for uh, another one of our – man, it's it's got to be over 10 episodes with Bill now, but uh, well, we're getting close to that. But, guys, as far as total plays go, like I said last week, we're well over 3,000 plays now. Uh, I hope to get the 4,000 real soon. And, again, let's just keep checking them off. Let's keep having more and more plays. Uh, we're probably averaging anywhere from 40 to 50 ep- uh, plays on our daily episodes. A few episodes have uh, have hit around 100 listeners or so. So uh, we're just putting them out there, and, and we know you're not listening necessarily in order, but we're trying to keep them in order for you and, and keep them organized. And just to really appreciate all those who tune into this program. It's an ap- absolute blast and an absolute pleasure to talk to you guys every single day uh, to – Give my thoughts, my my rambling at times, just to uh, maybe maybe stimulate some conversation amongst each other. And, uh, you know, I think it's good. I think it's good for me to get on here and vent a little bit occasionally, but also to catch up with some friends and, and talk about hopefully a you know, wide range of topics. But anyway, we got more guests lined up this week. Thursday and Friday are not official yet, but we'll have uh, some information on those tomorrow after our interview with Mr. Bill Barnes. Looking forward to him as always. And guys, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe.